I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode of Ball Girl Magic is brought to you by the Uninterrupted Podcast Network. Download and subscribe to all our shows on the network, including Open Run with Jesse and Stefan, Dre Day with Draymond and Marcus, and Road Trippin' with Richard Jefferson and Channing Fry. And of course, make sure you download ours, Ball Girl Magic, with me, Roz Gold on Woody, and my amazing co-host, Yvonne Orji. Let's get to the show. Hey, what's going on, y'all? This is Yvonne. And in this episode of Ball Girl Magic, we talk black women at work, Raiders moving to Vegas, LeVar and Lonzo Ball, plus our final four predictions. Enjoy the episode. Just because we're magic doesn't mean we're not real. Real. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Ball Girl Magic. Hey, what's up? This is Roz and Yvonne. And first of all, I just want to thank everybody who has been listening to the first couple of episodes of Ball Girl Magic, tweeting us about it, telling us how you feel, sharing it with your friends, subscribing. We appreciate you. This this just started. So thank you for being on the journey with us and helping us build. Hit us up on Twitter. Turn up at Ball Girl Magic. And you can hit me up at Yvonne Orgy. And Roz, where can they find you? At Rosgo21 on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Let us know how you like the show and give us suggestions and then your thoughts. We want to hear from you. That's it. That's it. But here's what I want to hear about. I'm just, I'm over Bill O'Reilly. I mean, by now I know we've all heard what he said to the, the queen mother, everybody's favorite auntie, Maxine Waters. Didn't hear a word she said. I was, <laughs> I was looking at the James Brown wig. Like, really? Like, first of all, you came for Maxine Waters doing Women, Women's History Month off of the most lit Black History Month we've ever had. Like, don't you understand? Like, it can't stop, won't stop. Like, and, and while Underground is on TV and we talking about Harriet Tubman, I'm just bringing every Black thing that's happening currently that's amazing. Like, you're doing this in the context of Harriet Tubman being on Underground right now. Like, really, Bill O'Reilly? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just over it. Um, it's perfect timing then to introduce our real MVP or flagrant foul section of the show because... Bill O'Reilly is clearly, this is a flagrant foul. Flag on the play, Bill O'Reilly. I'm a strong black woman, and I cannot be intimidated. I think the best thing that, th that came out of this whole thing was the black woman at work hashtag, right? And that's where black women all over social media, all over the world, talked about when, like, what happens in their workplace, that things that they're called out for for basically being a black woman and things that like other women don't know. Like a lot of them, if you read some of them, a lot of them were like, I, as a four feet, 11 black woman told a white coworker that, you know, told her something very basic. And then she started crying. And then they both got called into, um, you know, HR because the black woman was 
accused of being threatened, uh, a threat. And it's like, I'm four feet five. Like, who am I threatening? But, you know, I think, I think, <laughs> I think it's interesting. I think uh, the black woman at work hashtag just reading through them. It was, it was actually kind of sad um, because it's just like, dang, you know, there, we're still in 2017 trying to like really talk about like hair at work, you know, people trying to like kind of, mesh and mold black women to be a certain thing and it's just like man there's a reason that we are called ball girl magic and there's a reason that black girl magic exists because it's like that magic can't be contained mm -hmm. um but like are there are do you have any um black women at work uh hashtag stories ross i mean yeah i do I'm, and and first of all i i definitely think that while this was troubling the situation between maxine waters and bill o'reilly um the greater good that comes from it is we're having a conversation about it. You know, like sometimes it's funny, me and you will sit here and think, is this still happening? But there were many people who clicked on that hashtag and were shocked and were surprised. They didn't know this existed. So I think open public conversation amongst all kinds of different people, whether it happens to be black people, black women, women, men, uh, whether it's about sexuality or gender, I think conversation is so key. It's such a big step to understanding. So um, for me, I would say as a black woman in sports broadcasting, I think some of the first you know, issues you might face start with being a woman in, in a man's field and then being a black woman on top of that, that's a double minority. But sometimes I feel like when people don't know you and you step into a room and you're dressed all nice and you come into that locker room, there might be some um, looks at you that maybe you're there for other things or you're not serious or you shouldn't be taken as seriously or your question can come second or third or you can be spoken over in a locker room. That's something I've, I've always eliminated right away. You know, sometimes in a male-dominated locker room with male reporters, I found early in my career Sometimes men, they, they don't even realize it, Yvonne, but sometimes, and they don't, they don't necessarily quote unquote mean harm, but they'll speak over you. It's as though you finishing your thought doesn't matter or you getting your question out doesn't matter. I never allow that to happen. I, 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 I have made it very clear that I'm gonna get my question out and I'm gonna speak firmly. You also have to speak up. As a woman, sometimes our voices are lower. Speak up, finish your question, and also come correct with your question. So. You know, no one's rolling their eyes at, you know, maybe the maybe something that was ill-informed. But maybe that's some of the early things I've noticed. But I'd also like to use hashtag Black Woman at Work to highlight the moments of camaraderie. Like I feel like I've also experienced a lot of great help, support, mentorship from other Black women in this industry. You know, I'll give a shout out to you guys. You may have heard of Lachina Robinson. She's a great women's basketball analyst. When I was first starting out, she always had time for a call. She's always there for others trying to build their careers. You know who else shows a lot of love? Carrie Champion. Carrie will send you uh, from ESPN, uh, Sports Center, coast to coast. She'll send me a random text. Hey, girl, just thinking of you. Oh, you look gorgeous. And when I came and spoke to her, as big as she is, she has open arms. It's a genuine um, wanting to help. A lot of times, many women are threatened. And it's also other women. You know, I always give a shout out to one of my greatest mentors, Doris Burke. You know, she's someone that really helped me get a foot in the business. Um, and Yvonne, you know, the last thing I'll point out too with hair, even as I work, I, my hair, I always change my hairstyles up because a lot of times people want to tell me how my hair should be. And often women 
are only keep their hair one way. I'm very conscious of my hairstyles. I wear it big and curly. I don't always wear it straight. I like to show my natural. I wear my hair natural sometimes. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I wear twists and braids. That's very conscious. A lot of times black women feel nervous to wear what maybe their bosses might call ethnic hairstyles on air. I'm, ch I'm trying to challenge that. I'm hoping some little black girl or some little you know, minority girl is watching and thinking, she looks like me or she does her hair like me and it's acceptable, it's okay. Okay, um, no, absolutely, Roz, I, absolutely, Roz, I, I agree. I mean, for me as a comedian, a black female comedian in, you know, which is a male-dominated field, I do know that when I first started, and I should preface this, you know, when you think about, like, who are the funny black female comics, you're, immediately, there's a look, right? You're like, oh, she's heavy set. You know, she's not necessarily the mainstream equivalent of beautiful, whoever said that, you know, and so when I show up and I'm like, you know, size four, size six, got my heels on, got my makeup done, I show up to the comedy spot and they're like, oh, okay, cool. Are you, are you about to do spoken word? You about, you about to sing? Like, <laughs> Am I about to do what? It's a, it says the comedy club. Like, what? Like, no. And it's just like, and I, I would get that often because it was like, surely you're not about to deliver some good jokes. Like, like you look... Which is horrible to say this, like, too pretty to be a comic, like, too pretty to be funny. And it's just like, I don't know where that, like, that imagery got started, but, like, nah, that, that, stop that. Like, you can be funny and big. You can be funny and slim. You can be funny and non-traditional. Like, you know, and, and that's, it's crazy. Like, Leslie Jones, who's on SNL, she kind of got flagged for that because it's just like, she's older and she's now getting her start. People are like, uh, she's not traditionally pretty. And, you know, is she going to be, it's like, yo, but she's been slight. Like, I've seen Leslie Jones at a comedy club straight kill. And so it's just like, you know, in, the, in that industry, that's sort of the things that you have to deal with as a black woman at work. Um, so I'm really glad the hashtag was out there to highlight some of this because sometimes people just don't know. Like, and I really do hope that, like, because it was trending, I really hope people of other colors went through that like, hashtag and found themselves, which is something that I think that people do. And I know people have told me this and, um, and not just even to, like to shameless, selfless plug with Insecure, but like, no, there were some storylines where it's just like, oh, where that scene where Molly, her, Molly's boss tells her to talk to the only other black girl at the office people like I had like white women come up to me like that's crazy like it's so subtle but like I'm thinking now like have I done something like that is there like something that I'm not even aware of that I did to alienate some people so I think that these conversations are um are good to have especially when everybody's involved in them because then they can really see like oh my god I didn't even know Ooh, I didn't even know that that could be a sticky situation that I just put somebody in so uh, real MVP goes to the uh, Maxine Waters for clap back, clapping back at uh, Bill O'Reilly, as well as uh, the Black Women at Work hashtag. That's what's up. You the real MVP. All right, and that conversation, that talking, is so key to making sure everybody can understand each other and everybody has better common ground. But you know who is not listening, Yvonne? <laughs> Who's way? Who? The Raiders ain't listening because the money is talking way too loud. <laughs> the Raiders, they're leaving Oakland. They're deserting Oakland. They are, they are moving to Las Vegas, to Sin City, where there is public funding, lots of money waiting for them, and they're leaving their original fan base, their loyal fan base behind. And so 
Yvonne, just two, two thoughts that I was thinking about besides, you know, all the money that, that uh, Vegas was able to come up with that Oakland really couldn't do the same with. And so they moved to Vegas. Um, two questions I have. So first, they still have at least one season left playing in Oakland. <laughs> so that, that's that awkward moment, right? Because it's kind of like a lame duck situation. And actually, I was actually after the Warriors game, I was listening to Draymond Green, friend to the show, family. Uh, shout out to Dre Day. Um, but... Draymond was saying that he would, if he was a fan, he wouldn't go to those games for the next two years. They may at least be there one, they're going to at least be there one, possibly two years um, at the Coliseum in Oakland before the new arena for them is set up and ready in Vegas. So would you go to the games as a fan? But I mean, why, why is he baller blocking just because they're moving? I mean, like, they're still the same team. They're just not there. So it's just like... So you would stay, even though they deserted you, and you would stay for two years, knowing that they're only going to leave you for Vegas. You would stay and go to the games, keep your season tickets, and all of that. I mean, people move all the time. Like we talked about this when you know we talked about this with KD. We talked about this with uh, LeBron. It's just like you know, sports is a thing that people are really passionate about. But at the end of the day, it's a business. It's a business. People make business decisions. Some are good. Some are right. Some are selfish. Some are not. Um, And so, really. Uh, go if that's your team you like you it's, it's almost like if your best friend from college told you girl I'm in two years I'm moving where you going girl I'm going all the way to New York are you not going to see her for those two years and you're gonna be like well you leaving me anyway so what's the point of us being friends it's like, <laughs> it's like I mean that's like real silly just go go hang out with her for the time that you have her and because you know like now I feel like these moments are going to be even more special because it's just like ah oh, man we got two years before um before they're gone so let's like savor the moment but I mean if you're if you feel betrayed and if you I mean people did burn LeBron jerseys because they felt betrayed but I mean I bet you they mad now because he's back so it's kind of like <laughs> right. you could have had that jersey this whole you had to buy a second jersey you had to buy a second jersey and that might that might have been the one he signed now boo boo the fool like who who lost out <laughs> You know what, that's an interesting take because your take is not the popular one. Um, A lot of people kind of feel hurt by it, not just fans, but also just that it was misleading by the league who was always taking a strong anti-gambling, anti-betting stance. They've even had certain events um, for individual players were not allowed in Vegas at certain locations because they were in a gambling or betting facility or a casino. But is there going to be gambling at the stadium? No, I'm not sure. Well, I can't even say I I would imagine. No, but they're saying that all of those that ethos that the NFL played so largely on at one point. Now that's uh, now that Las Vegas was able to offer them seven hundred fifty in 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 public money on top of the the apparently two billion dollar facility they're they're building for them out there. Now they get all that money influx and all the money that can come in from games and potentially Vegas. Welcome to capitalism. Right. Welcome, welcome to capitalism. The they sold us. They sold us a dream, Yvonne. Well, now well, now well, they let that dream go for the money. It's a little sad. It's a little. How are you going to tell little uh, little Sean, little Sean with that lives in Oakland and Lake Merritt? <laughs> I don't know. Here's, here's my here's my here's my thing. Who sees the money? Who see? I'm like, who sees? Do the players get more money? Do the players who are like getting knocked down every day? Like that's that's a larger question. Like what? Yes, sure. You know, uh, Las Vegas 
offer them a lot of money, but I mean, I don't know. Like, where does that trickle down? Does it stop? Like, that's for me. That's a bigger issue. Like, does it just that's stop? The at the, does it just stop <laughs> at the at the management, or do you see like these players who are getting hit all the time? You know, who could have concussions and all this stuff? Are are, are their families going to be compensated? Like, do they do they does the money trickle down where everybody wins? Or right, and that's, nah. a, that's and, and a, I don't know, and I don't know. That's a consistent conversation in the NFL uh, between lawyers, players, association, the players, the ownership and executives and management and, and, and the league itself, you know, um, it, I, I don't think it's, it's as a, as a, is as advanced as it needs to be. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So the last question I have for you, and we'll keep it short before we move on. How dangerous do you think it will be for the teams and the players and everybody else who comes to Vegas for these games, all of the extracurriculars that might be negatives and distractions that Vegas offers, you know? I mean, uh, I mean hey. I'm worried a little. Aren't we grown individuals? Like, that's like saying Miami and all the beautiful Puerto Rican women. Like, how... Like, the distractions are everywhere. If you go to, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you go to California, weed is legal. That's extracurricular activities. If you go to, like I said, if you go to Miami, is hot women in beaches. That's extracurricular activities. Like, has that stopped, you know, the dolphins from playing? Have that stopped people who go and play the dolphins? Like, I'm just like, that's not a, that's not, like, whatever. Like, if you can't be a grown individual and have restraint wherever you are, then, you know, like, listen, your talent will only get you, but so far your character is what sustains you in any industry. That goes yeah. for sports. That goes for, like, life. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, if you, that's like saying if you're, if you're at work and, you know, there's an opportunity to lie or cheat, you know, ugh, what do you do? It's like, well, integrity. You just have integrity. If you're at work and there's, you're, you're gambling when you have, a, like, a 10 a.m. call time for practice, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Like, you had one job. <laughs> you had one job. So, I mean, I feel like these are grown people who are making grown people salaries. So just be a be a grown individual and to handle your priorities. So, I mean, that's where I'm at. But, I mean, I, I listen, I get both sides. I'm sure the fa- I'm sure there are a lot of fans that are upset. But and just like there are fans literally that are upset when, you know, with the whole like see, like benching like star athletes and star players, it's like, yeah, you're upset because you bought a ticket and now you're, you know, you're seeing your star play that you want to see play on the bench. But it's like 
the NBA has a long, a long, long, long uh, season. So it's like sometimes you do bench star athletes so that they can recoup. But then on the flip side, it's like ah, but you didn't buy a ticket to see your favorite player on the bench. So it's it goes back and forth, and that's you know sports is a sports has always kind of been this um, got double edged sword. You know, it's like these are real individuals playing. Um, but then there are also real problems that present themselves, but then right. they're well, also making Boku money. So it's, 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 it's kind of interesting. It's, it's kind of a weird scenario, but that's, I would just say, I, I understand the comments on the character, um, character goes a long way and these are grown men, but I will say that often in pro sports, it's kind of like a prolonged, uh, adolescence. Um, and these guys, these Everybody, not just guys, men, male and female athletes. I admit it myself when I was when I was an athlete. Um, you know, sometimes everything was taken care of for you. There's a lot of guys who are pro athletes right now that I cover that have admitted they've never been to the DMV. They've never done. They have people on the team that do it for them. You know, there's uh, certain aspects of adulthood that you don't have to face right away. Um, as a pro athlete, because so much of that is taken care of for you. And when you, when you lose some of those things, I think you also lose certain perspectives, um, certain maturity that comes with having to do daily, everyday tasks, having to deal with hardship, having to wait in a line, having to have somebody say no. And there's countless other things. So I'm just going to say, yes, they are grown people. But, you know, with more money, more access, more but attention, if, but if more social question, media, it's, it's dangerous. It can't is, be dangerous. If your question is, will playing in Vegas be a distraction to pro athletes, my answer still stands. Not as, like, is it that much more of a distraction as playing in Miami or playing in any major city or playing in L.A.? It's like, I think Vegas is way different than Miami and L.A. I do. It's constant gambling in a league, and NFL is a league that has strong fines and a strong stance against gambling. That's, that's one thing. That's a temptation. It's constant partying and alcohol. It's, it's, a, it's called Sin City for a reason. I mean, the, I'm being polite. There's, there's, a lot more, there's a lot of prostitution. There's a lot of women. There's also less people who, there's a lot more people who come in and out of the city. So, you know, it's hard. It's hard. It's a little bit weirder when people aren't there for long periods of time or don't have a house and, you know, a name in the city tied to them. So it's, it's I don't know, it's a little different. I mean, we can agree to disagree on this, but I think we've spent enough time on the Raiders. You want to move on to the next one? Agreed. I mean, yeah, I mean, time will tell. We, we can only know. And, you know, sometimes when you make a mistake, you don't know that's a mistake until you're in it. So time will tell. I mean, and the league may have to just... Uh, adopt different uh, rules or practices to to make sure that things stay in line. I don't know. We'll see. But, um, you know, what I think is interesting, a lot of times the people who keep uh, people in line are parents. So, like, for instance, with LeVar Ball, he's been getting a lot of press right now. And if you don't know who he is, that's Lonzo's father. Um, they are going to the Final Four. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about, like, the kind of the abrasive nature maybe of his stage fatherdom. Um, and I think that's a really interesting point. I think it's what's what's interesting to me about this is black fathers who are involved in their kids' celebrity rise have gotten bad raps. 
um, you have you have um, Lavar. Then you have Joe Jackson. You have uh, the uh, Mr. Williams, who obviously was, contributed a lot to Venus and Serena's um, rise. You have Matthew Knowles. You got Tiger Woods' daddy, Floyd Mayweather's daddy, and it's just like, yeah, their kids did amazing things. Like, who doesn't know? Like, everybody was trying to be the Jackson Five. Everybody was. Everybody's trying to be Beyonce, and it's directly related to what their fathers did. And so, my question is, like. What is the why? Why? Why are black stage fathers looked at such as such a threat um, hmm. to the mainstream audience? Also, because like you don't see a lot of black fathers involved in the. I was and I take that back. There are a lot of black fathers that are involved. Right, However, right. when mainstream you know media talks about the black fathers, it's always like, oh, you know, my daddy left. My daddy wasn't there. He wasn't involved. He's a deadbeat dad. So then you see black fathers who are literally imparting business acumen into their kids to make them great and to make them phenomenons. But then it's just like, ah, but your tactic was a little harsh. Your tactic is da-da-da-da. And so I'm, I'm, it's interesting, this phenomenon, like when, when they're not involved, then it's like, ah, you're a deadbeat dad. When they are involved, it's like, ah, you're doing too much. But thank you for the greatness that you have uh, um, instilled in your children that we can profit and monetize off of. I don't know. What, what is your take? Right. I, I think that's a very strong point you're bringing up, Yvonne. Um, and you know, it's funny because something that I was reading an article, um, LeVar was talking about that kind of critique of him. And he was saying, not only am I in my kid's life, you know, not only am I in my kid's life, I have set this stage for them so that they could not only be successful, but with no feeling of me as a burden. You know, he, he, he grew up in South Central. His kids grow up in, how do you say it? Chino Hills? Is that how you say it? I'm not from Cali. Something like that. Whatever. So they grew up in this nice neighborhood. And basically, he's saying, usually when you have a kid with, with a high level of talent, they're coming out the hood. They're, not only are they 18 and talented and possibly trying to get into the NBA, they've got to worry about their auntie, their mama, their friends, their boys. They've they got to take everybody out the hood with them. And what, what LeVar is saying is I'm already comfortable. I have worked hard so that my kids, they, they lived a comfortable life. They haven't had to struggle. They haven't had to struggle. They could focus on ball. They could, they could only work on being great. And once they get to the pros, they don't got to worry about mom and dad. Mom and dad are straight. Take care of yourself. Build for your family and your children and your grandchildren. Generational money. So he's, you know, in a way, as loud-mouthed as he is, I, give him, I do give him credit for not only being an involved dad, but he's, he's, not, he's not stupid. He's, you know, he had a plan. And, you know, as, there's another thing. Uh, Steve Kerr said that got uh, Coach Kerr for the Warriors, who I love and is super woke. He's like one of the top woke coaches in sports, period. But he had a comment on LeVar where he basically said he doesn't think that his talking is helping them. And I thought LeVar had a nice response in this, in this article. He, he said, I already helped them by feeding them, clothing them, setting up the shooting machine for them, not by talking. Like, let's... We get so caught in the talking. Is anybody talking about how this man raised these children, made sure they had uh, clothes on their back, kept them out of trouble, kept them in sports? Three boys? Do you know what it takes to have three boys play at an elite level on top teams? you got to drive them all through the country, fly them everywhere, support them, make sure they all have sneakers, make sure they're all getting the training. It's no easy task. I mean, you know I, think, I mean, I think here's, here's what it is. Uh, he, he's kind of like the Don King right now of... of 
college uh, basketball uh, because Don King had a lot of showmanship. He Mike Mike Tyson could back it up, but Don King Don King was like, no, no, no. I know we got a we got a talented brother here, so that's the sports side. I'm on the entertainment side. Like I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a boost whatever money he's making or whatever clout he's getting on the entertainment side. And I think, you know, hey, everybody plays to win at different levels, right? And even just like I remember there was a um, a clip of uh, somebody asking like a very young Serena Williams, like, hey, you know, do you think that you're the best? Like, do you think you're the best? Whatever. She's like, I think I'm the best. And then they're like, um, okay, well, what do you think? And she was like, no, I think one day people are going to go up to be like me. And they were like, okay, temper your... Essentially trying to be like, listen here, black girl, temper your expectations. And so they asked her the question again. And I remember her father stepped in and was like, hey, she answered it the first time. She meant what she said, and that's that. And I think from then they were like, oh, he's he's really uh, like abrasive. And it's like, no, 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 no. Because you're not about to like like downplay my black daughter out of the hood on this sport that's mostly dominated by white individuals and try to tell her that she can't be the best. And sometimes you need that strong father to be like, bump whatever the world will say. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, there are definitely stage fathers. Some some kids have been left scarred. I mean, when you look at the Jacksons, you can say, yes, they were all you know, talented and phenomenal. Did they have some, you know, different emotional things going on? Uh Clearly, um, Clearly. <laughs> you know, uh, when you look at, you know, Tiger Woods was definitely like, instrumental in his dad. Um, Tiger Woods dad was definitely instr- instrumental in his life. And while he was great as uh, a sports, as an athlete, you know, obviously he had some other personal things going on. And we don't know if that's directly related to the fact that he spent most of his childhood on a golf course. I don't know. But um I, I, I just think it's very interesting. The But you don't hear that necessarily the same when you see, like, you know, in football, the white fathers who train their coaches, to, their kids to be the best quarterbacks. The, right. the same the same level of, hmm, uh, you know, kind of like, is this safe? Is this, like, is this detrimental to the kids? You don't see that same level of talk going on in, in that aspect. So that's just something to... Right. And I think, um, I agree with you. I, I also, I think that they're... It's there's probably some kind of over the top parents. They're not just black parents. They're white parents. They're Spanish parents, Latinos parents. Um, African you know, parents. Growing I mean, up, your, your father, he said, if Nigerian you parents. Yeah. You know, I mean, they don't have like Nigerian parents. Even growing up in Queens, you know, uh, what you call it? Some of my some of my friends who are Asian, like their parents were always on them about their you know schoolwork and getting it done. So were my my Nigerian father was on me about schoolwork. So and and I would say sometimes in an overbearing way. However. I ended up going to Stanford and caring about school, but there were certainly nights where I was like, my dad is tripping. But I think that's part of like, but overall, I, I was trying to sh- paint LeVar in a positive way, giving that, give him another way to be looked at. But overall, I, I personally think that the, the talk is too much. It's a lot. It's a lot. But this uh, March Madness, this first and second rounds, I was covering the NCAA tournament and I had UCLA in my regionals. Uh, and I got to talk with Lonzo a little bit, and I would say as big mouth as his father is, and as much as all the attention is around him, he's a pretty, like, he's got it together. He's a well-adjusted kid. He's, he's super smart. He's, uh, he's a, a, a team guy. He in- includes everyone. He's very guarded in his answers. I mean, he's very, he's smart. He knows how to play the game. He knows how he wants to answer the questions. He's not too talkative. He's confident. He's certainly not, like, mild-mannered, but um, I would say 
He's very different from his father. He understands what his father is. And I would truly say it, th his father's actions do not distract him. Lonzo's got a very poised mind. And you can see that translate on the court. So, you know, his parents did something right besides his basketball talent. You know, he was polite. Um, he seemed like a good kid. And, and even in the locker room, as, as serious as Lonzo can seem in interviews and when you see him on TV, I will say little bits and pieces of his personality snuck out. You know, he'll give the media a guarded answer. But then in the locker room, I happened to glance over and I saw him uh, pretending to interview TJ Leaf with a sneaker as a microphone, you know. So he's still a 19-year-old kid, you know. He's listening to, he told me he was listening to More Life by Drake. He likes future before the game, you know. He's still a kid. Let's let's remember that as we talk about him. Well, I mean, I'm just going to open this up to our listeners. If you're listening right now, uh, hit us up at Ball Girl Magic and, and let us know. Hashtag, hashtag us and just let us know, like, what what do you think about how uh, black stage fathers are viewed versus stage fathers from other races? Or, you know, do you think it's detrimental to be... Um, to be a stage dad. I don't know. Or a stage parent. Are you a stage mom? Or are you a stage dad? Let us know. You want Let to admit it? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, because you know what? Like, how, you can say, like, what are some mistakes that you made? Or what are some, what are some things that you did that, that you know, that worked out well? But, you know, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, with March Madness, speaking of which, it's, it's coming up, you know. Uh, yeah. Tonight, tonight is the finals. So... I mean, final four. Who you got for the? We'll do men and women because because we love both sides. So, uh, Yvonne, who you got for the men? Who's your champion? Well, I here's what I want to see. I, you know, before the final fours, uh, like at the final four stage, I want to see a matchup between North Carolina and South Carolina. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if my prediction will happen. Um, but I do have. North Carolina winning. We're taping. Obviously, we're taping this before the final, so we don't know who's going who's going to make it through. But I got, I got, I got a matchup between South Carolina and North Carolina, uh, or Oregon and Gonzaga. That's that's those that's the, that's the two ways I think it'll go. But I have North Carolina going all the way to the top. Okay. Well, you got North Carolina. I got for the women. Um, right now, the final four: UConn. Mississippi State, Stanford, South Carolina, and I actually, I'm going to, on on the one side, I'm going to go with Stanford to advance. I think if Stanford can advance, and then on the other side, I've got UConn advancing. UConn, if they win the championship, they would win, I, I, if I'm correct, I believe it's 113 straight games, which is crazy. That's just excellence. But UConn women, that's what they do. It's, I mean, that's just, you must respect it. However, I truly believe, and this is not just because I went to Stanford, I've just been watching their run in the tournament, and I've really, and I've also spoken to Tara Vanderveer at Stanford, how she talks about this team is special. There's no big star. They do it together as a team. I've watched their commitment to coming from behind in this tournament. They've come behind from behind to win and advance over and over. Stanford's ability to understand a team and break them down with a scouting report defense I think the momentum that they're playing with, the IQ that they have, if Stanford advances to the championship game and UConn advances and they go against UConn, I think Stanford has the best chance to beat UConn. I think Stanford is capable of pulling the upset off. And I'm not just saying that because I'm an alum. I really believe in what I've seen this season. But likely, you know, I was just watching Doris Burke today, amazing analyst. She's like, oh, yeah, no way. You, UConn is going to win the women's championship. She said, no way anyone beats UConn. But I, I sat there and listened to her, and I said, I don't know, Doris. If Stanford can get past the, the, the final four and get into the championship, 
I think it's money time. I mean, obviously, everybody's looking to UConn to win, to finish out an amazing season. I mean, they've had documentaries on them, the road, uh, the road to the four. And, and you know what? I know I know you're a Stanford uh, alum. Issa's a Stanford alum, so uh, a part of me is... Shout out to Issa. Uh, hey, shout out to Issa. I mean, Amy and you'll be another writer on our show. Y'all are all Stanford alums. I'm sure y'all will have a field day if uh, if y'all win. However, I don't know. Uh, UConn is, is tough, but it's tough. We'll see. We'll, 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 we'll report back. If uh, Roz is crying on the very next episode of Ball Girl Magic, you know what happened. Uh, you know what since, she, she, since she had such a visceral reaction to gambling in Vegas, I was going to put some money on it, but I see, ah! I see how you know she really reacted to that. So I'm just not going to let that go. I'm going to let that slide. You are stupid. Okay. I feel that. Um, all right. All right. Oh, this is a good one. This is Yvonne, I missed you. I missed you. I, I miss you too, man. You even we've been uh crisscrossing the world, man. Like you were you were out you were out for a yeah. while covering the game. I've, I've been doing uh I've been March has literally been madness for me. I have been doing the Dayton first four for the men's tournament, the first and second oh, rounds in Sacramento. I was I was like you did. No. That's something I needed to be doing more of. That's going to be April. From April's going to be my dating madness. But March was oh, okay. Are we on apps? Are we on apps? Ow, ow. Okay, at me. Hit me up on Twitter. No, I'm playing. Don't at me. Don't at me. Um, but, um, no, I was doing a Dayton first four, first and second rounds in Sacramento. I did the A10 men's tournament, the Pac-12 women's tournament. Cool thing for me, I got to host inside stuff on NBA TV with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Shout out to them Trailblazer boys. Um, and I'm now I'm back and in full effect with the Warriors. It's good to be back with my family with CSN and the Warriors, and that's my grind. What about you? So, well, we're we're Monday today when this episode drops. We are officially starting season two of Insecure. Um, so you know, principal photography starting. We got we got the long road ahead of us. We're going to be shooting till. Uh, pretty much the end of June, and we premiere in July, July 23rd. Market calendars, we coming back, season two. Hopefully, Molly finds love this season. We all know she might still be a mess. Uh, that is still yet to be uh, discovered. So uh, that's where I'm going to be at. I'm going to be uh, in the zone for the next three months. No, knock it out. Rock out, girl. Do your thing. But Get thank you again. Thank you, boo. Thank you all again for listening. Yo, check us out on the next episode of Ball Girl Magic. Yo, stay up. Stay up. Stay up.